Hello everyone, I am Matthew Thomas with Super Cool Radio, and joining me at this time, a very special guest. He is the guitarist and vocalist of Fatal Conceit, a killer hard rock band out of Michigan. Please welcome Tim. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. This is totally rad. Super cool, if you will. Yes. <laughs> and so... Obviously, live shows aren't happening right now due to COVID and stuff. So how have you been staying busy? Well, the we had a brief period where I got very lucky. And the state of Michigan allowed some limited capacity live performing. So back in October, I played our first and most recent show. And that was awesome. People are so hungry for live music. It was one of the few instances where I accepted a um, like a paid-in-advance kind of pre-show ticket kind of show that didn't have a major headliner. And I sold every one of my tickets plus a bunch for some other bands. We had, we literally had maximum capacity. It was really nice. Um, and there were no outbreaks as a result, which is pretty cool too. So other than the prep lead up to and sort of media management that occurred after that event, I've mostly just been writing music, new music. I teach, I work for Expressions Music Academy and I give some classes at a couple of colleges in the area, so that's been eating up a lot of my time, too. Right on, yeah. Definitely, people are definitely hungry for live shows right now, but obviously with, you know, stuff going on, it's kind of hard to actually consistently do live shows. So it, it's cool that you actually got to do a live show very, yeah. somewhat recently. If you really lucked out. Yeah, I know, I know uh, some bands who didn't do any shows this year, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, I mean, there's like... Of course, there's the externalities associated with like public uh, uh, political opinions, but it really just comes down to safety at this point, and that's just really sad. Yeah, there. Yeah, it's really it, everyone's safety is the you know main concern with everything, and you know whatever side you're on, it's really just want to keep people safe. Yeah, and so you've been you know obviously you've been teaching, you're writing, recording music. So how's the recording been going? for uh, Fatal Conceit? It's been fun. It's been interesting. So I said, I have worked as a musician all of my professional life. So this has been a significant departure from common workflows we used to do back in college, grad school, and sort of in the in the pro world. It's all happening. All my tracking is happening in this room. I don't know if you can, can see it. I'll, I'll turn the computer a little bit. Oh, that's the wrong way. Uh, there's my sort of home setup. And I, I so I'm gathering the raw audio here since we're very lucky in this day and age to not have a whole lot of destructive editing that goes in we can process it all in in real time the raw stems are really easy to send out so my producer uh, is a guy named sean papineau a uh, shameless plug for him he's just incorporated deadwing uh records or deadwing production recordings deadwing recordings and um Check them out. It's uh, DW underscore recordings on the on the Instagrams. And anyway, I send him the stems via Google Drive, and then he reamps and processes everything in his pro studio, and he's in Florida. So this is just like this whole interstate kind of, I do recording here. Nick Pavlot does recording at his space. I invite friends over. We record in this, in this environment, and it's very, very strange. It's so weird, man. Yeah, I believe it. You know, having to mostly communicate either digitally and having just to do stuff, you know, just like via email or, you know, via some type of, you know, messenger. But I, I can see how like, that's just weird. Okay. I did this song. 
going to email this person instead of, hey, we're all together. Let's make a song. So, yeah, I can definitely tell or, uh, tell it's a uh, strange. It's weirdly – I my assumption going into this nonsense was that it would feel less organic. Like, a lot of good writing happens when you have four creative people just playing their butts off in the studio and coming up with new stuff or they, like, premeditate it and bring it and then it evolves from there. That's not happening at all with what we're doing because of how we have to work right now. So it's all happening in, in vacuums, but it's happening in phases now, and that makes it almost like a more effective proofreading practice and fewer bad ideas survive. Like I've, I've written this year, um, I'm on song 26 for the band, and most of the songs that we've written that made it to that list went through in, incredible changes just from the proofread process. And a bunch of songs haven't like, been finished because they ended up just seeming like bad or bad or maybe intellectually lazy or say sound like other bands you know so we just wanted to be gone with those so yeah i think it, it definitely um irons out like the the good songs and like well maybe i shouldn't send that because it doesn't sound that great or oh actually it sounds like this band so i i think a lot of people actually like you know think a lot of like should I actually send this because it might not be the best material right yeah and and the with with the way we've been approaching the the music how, how it has to happen in two different like phases the lyrics get the most workshopping which is the opposite of how things were operated in bands that i've been formerly a part of where the lyrics usually were like the first thing and they were done and they were set and then we made the music around it. Well, the workflows we're currently adopting, the music and the lyrics are happening either simultaneously or very close together in terms of when they're started and finished. So when I shoot off the lyrics to be proofread by a, a friend of mine, uh, her name's Katie, she's a, she's a really talented writer, and she'll send me like, there's this garbage in this, Tim. What is the, it's easy to fix those problems because I haven't finished it yet, you know? <laughs> yeah, that, right. like the way you said it, like you know, you sent it to her, like, oh, this is not good at all. <laughs> it's funny how you worded that. Oh, she's like, oh no, Why, don't release this, Tim. No, not yet. It needs some rigor. <laughs> we need to manage this. <laughs> and I, I think a lot of people, you know, not familiar with like how songs are developed and stuff. It actually takes you know a lot of process to get you know to get it sounding right, to get the lyrics right. It's not just, oh, I wrote, I wrote this in five minutes and it's a great song. That yeah, doesn't so, happen like that all the time or at all. There are very few people that I know that can like improvise that kind of thing. Like there's this rapper in uh, uh, in the Detroit area named John Penman. I don't know if you've heard of him. He That's is getting cool. big. He's got a freestyle like brain. He can just spit it out. It just happens with him. And this is a great video actually of John Mayer. He calls it uh, Music Vomit. And he like will start riffing something sort of simple, bluesy, and then he'll just start singing about what's in the room. And it's beautiful, and I would buy that recording, and it's amazing. But not everybody can do that. Certainly not me. <laughs> and it's it's a rare breed to actually make songs like that. I know like Dave Grohl, the Foo Fighters, he said oh, he, wrote, he wrote like a couple, I think like four or five songs, and he said, yeah, I just wrote this in like five minutes, and you know, it's a great song. <laughs> so, I don't know how people do that. It is a long meditative process for me from start to finish and it usually begins with you know scatting crappy lyrics or melodies like riffs like bah, 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 bah. that sounds cool oh let's call this one blah 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 and i'll hit save and come back to it and try to play that on the guitar or on the piano <laughs> a very uh 
uh, method or I'm, uh, I'm trying to think of a word here, but um, very uh, decisive way of doing it. It's very uh, calculated. It is a methodical workflow. In fact, the, the reason it is so procedural is I've spent a lot of time this year in particular thinking about songwriting because I'm teaching a class at one of the colleges in the area. It's just songwriting for modern musicians. And these kids have a wide range of skill set. And it starts with like at the very most basic student has never touched an instrument. They want to learn how to write songs, but they don't have a, a skill set in making music. So I had all these apps that they can use to make the music part. And then I'll have on the other side, people who are extraordinarily instru extraordinary instrumentalists who are, aren't so good at the lyric side. Like, I've never written a poem in my life. I don't know why someone would, those kinds of people. So yeah, this, the workflow has been set in stone by just the process of teaching that class every single week. It's very cool you get to work with, you know, people, you know, on a wide range of experience from like someone who's hasn't done anything musically to someone who hasn't done anything lyrically. I think that is a very cool experience. It's it's sort of a lucky externality of teaching a class that's designed to be an elective. So, you know, some of these, these kids are majors in, I don't know, the, the accounting department or they're working. It's a lot of majors were paused or shut down altogether because of the pandemic. If you can't do lab work at home. I'm sorry. You just... You shouldn't be doing that in your in your home. <laughs> so a lot of things were, were, were paused. So I'm getting all kinds of students who need to fill their schedule that, well, they they can't do it with what they're primarily studying. So they ended up going to like a songwriting class. It's pretty fun that way. Yeah, I wish I wish I had that when I went to college, man, because that, that, that sounds really cool. Even if like, you know, I'm not really musically, you know, haven't really done anything musically, but I think it'd be a really cool experience for anyone. And they can learn a lot from it. I've, I've got a few things that you can check out, actually, um, just like pamphlets and stuff for just getting started with your songwriting process if you're interested. And zap those to you after the show. Yeah, sure. Not a problem. Yeah, please do. But now I want to talk about Fatal Conceit, which is the band you are currently part of. How did that band come together and how did you choose the name Fatal Conceit? So I this is my favorite question because nobody expects the answer. So I'll start with the name. The name is my favorite economics textbook by uh, Frederick Hayek. He's an Austrian economist, and I just love his work. I think that he's a sassy, pithy bastard, and I, I don't know, I just love the way he writes. So the name of his, like, big uh, JSTOR article is called Fatal Conceit, and I was like, that's a cool name. And um, the former band that I was in, a group I really was, was proud to be a part of, is called Extremis. And again, let's name it from a book, it's an Iron Man book. But our bassist, who's my co-founder, uh, he got really busy with his graduate school life and there was some tumult in the world and in my life that ended up causing that band to not necessarily break up, but just kind of stop. <laughs> so I was like, well, I'm bored, I'm going to make a new band. So I contacted an old bandmate named Bruce, Bruce Schaefer, he's my bassist and co-founder. He's awesome. I played in like five bands with him since like 2013. He's great. And one thing that I wanted to move away from was a sort of failure to create a good structure for the band. And it took a long time for me to correct that error. So previously, historically for, for my groups, and this is the way it is for a lot of bands, we would all agree to have an equal vote, right? Everyone weighs in to decide, maybe you can set up, I don't know, tiebreakers and things like that. Uh, I didn't, I found that when strong personalities come together, 
and, and disagreements occur, uh, you can't resolve them. That's when the band falls apart. And that's happened twice uh, in, in my experience. So I don't want to do that again. So I was like, to heck with it. Yeet, I'm going to be in charge. This is my band. I am going to call the shots. The veto power was given to Bruce. And that's it. That's the structure. So now we just hired musicians. Um, we have two really talented add-ons uh, from, uh, from Bruce and my originally sort of organizing it. Uh, James Bellina is a drummer from the Detroit Institute of Music Education, and he is such a, an interesting guy because he's he's got this really kind of uh, cheerful demeanor, and he's not a very tall person. He's he's sort of a slender fellow, but when he's on a drum set, that, that kid's Thor. He's a he's a monster. He primarily plays at a church, and it is a sort of traditional African-American Baptist style does jazz every weekend. So he plays a concert every single weekend and basically has continued to do that through COVID. And this kid's got chops. Boy, that kid can play. Um, and he is like, of course, all of the members are welcome to contribute to the creative process. Like the new song that I'm working on, which is probably going to be the next release just because we like it so much. Uh, Nick Pavlot's writing the solo for it. The rest of the material is already finished. In fact, I could send that to you later if you'd like to get the first ears preview. Um, and then finally, there's Nick Pavlot, who's just awesome. This kid is. Uh, have you ever been to the Upper Peninsula at Michigan? I did when I was like 10, so probably you know, at least 10 plus years ago. I went there's to like Mackinac. I love Mackinac. There's like a Venn diagram of things that Michiganders from the Lower Peninsula and Canadians like have with the Upper Peninsula. So he is, he's like, my, the, he has a, a sort of Upper Peninsula accent. It's not, it's not quite up there to you for kind of things where, you know, it's not one of those Ishkanab and the Moonlight type things where you're in Canada. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, you come on down to the snow machines. We can go for a rip. But he does have the cadence and I love the way he speaks. And he's very frank about everything. And I really trust him to be very honest with me. He is... He's an interesting guy because he's such an aural learner. He learns from ear really, really, really well. Uh, when we did our show on the uh, 16th of October, we played Strength Fest is the name of it. And in October, you know, bats are one of the things. Love Halloween. And we decided to cover Avenged Sevenfold that day. And I have to be honest, those solos are hard. Sinister Gates is a serious player. And I had learned the Hail to the King solo and I was in progress. We did two songs and they were like a medley and we were in progress. I was on lear learning uh, Shepherd of Fire and sort of as a you know, pretty cool crowd pleaser. It's a tough solo, man. It's uh, and I can play it about half the time, pretty close to well. He learned it in two weeks. He put it on from memory. He learned it in a different way than so, so there's a lot of video of Sin playing and I tried to learn it the way Sin plays. He just was doing scales in different positions and adapting it just based on so, well, that wasn't as comfortable, so I'll put it over here on this other part of the instrument so the scale makes more sense to me. So he would do all kinds of stuff like that, and he memorized the material in three weeks. James memorized the material in uh, in one in one week. Uh, we had a 45-minute set, so we played uh, five original tunes, and we played the two Avenged Sevenfold songs. Uh, it was awesome. These kids are crazy, crazy good at memorizing music. That, that's very impressive. I mean, Avenged Sevenfold, definitely not the easiest to, to uh, actually learn. Not, not even just like the solo stuff, but like the actual song part too. It's not easy 
to do yeah. that quickly, to do that in the, like you know to actually fully do it in like a week or two. Yeah, very impressive. They memorized like what the heck? Like I'm sure the audience would forgive you if you brought some tab onto a music stand and then stepped over to shred that. No, no worries, they got it. Whatever. So now I'm not gonna. Now they set the bar really high, and I'm gonna only always give them just one week to memorize my shows. Now, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Please, if if you're hearing this, fellas, you're not under the bus. I just love you guys. Uh, what else you got? <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's very you know interesting just how people are just able to adapt so quickly to learn things and learn in different ways that maybe you find. Wow, that was very, you know, very difficult. Or I wanted learned it like that, but just to do it and do it very well. Oh yeah, well, and it's easy for me to forget that the practice of making music is not really a purely academic experience. So my, with my background being almost exclusively in higher education, uh, there's a lot of textbook isms that I bring to music when I think about it. So the music theory, the composition, the there's a, a study called counterpoint, which sort of is the process of finding which notes work together, like this one and this one, and which notes don't, and how to solve those, like this one, going up. So that's one of the, the ways to think about music is uh, I like to think of it as a vertical process. So here's your bass line, let's build out the rest of the chord. Do we want it to be an interesting chord? Or do we think about it horizontally, where we pick a bunch of chords and build up over top of that? Now, they don't think of music so dryly. It is a much more abstract experience for them. And uh, I once, uh, when I was practicing with, with Nick the week before the show, uh, he had ripped the solo. I was like, whoa, where'd that come from? And he just looked at me and went, So it's it's also like they're super nonchalant about how awesome they are. <laughs> yeah, but it's also very cool how would um how people you know think of you you think it more as a theory and how to put it together part because you know as you said you have a background in higher education they just think about it like this is really awesome and I'm gonna shred this. That's exactly right, and <laughs> it's additionally like there's a a disparate approach to thinking about music between the other members as well. So not just me and the guys, but like Bruce communicates uh, using numbers and letters. So what's the fret number to indicate the octave? What's the pitch name? But with, um, with uh, well, he's not in this group, but like a guy like Sean, uh, he would think in terms of the number and the scale degree, uh, he would say, is it a third up? So if you're if you're not a music-y person in the theory department, a third simply means that you are three letter names away. So you have C, D, E. So if you say it's a third away, you have that sort of parallel third motion. Uh, you might, did you watch Rugrats when you were a kid? I did, yes. All parallel thirds. That's it. It's just two fingers, two keys away, just move them up. That's it. <laughs> and honestly, during this interview, that's the first time someone's played a musical instrument on this show. And hey, first Rugrats, Rugrats theme too. Uh, the inaugural performance on Super Cool is Rugrats. I love that silly show. That's the best. I wouldn't have it any other way. I love that. Uh, I really, did you see the movie? Uh, I mean, this is probably like fifteen-ish years ago uh, when they went to France. 
Uh, Rugrats Friends. Was that the one that had uh, the Real Big Fish song in it? I discovered, no, I'm thinking of the Wild Thornberries. I had a Real Big Fish song. Yes. I was a huge Scott kid when I was in high school. It was all about just goofy music and horns, man. It was, um, I don't know if I've seen the, the Rugrats in France. I don't know. Yeah. I remember. Well, one of my favorite, also when they went to uh, Las Vegas too, also one of my favorites. But I think this is like post 2000. Mm. So, because, yeah, so like when I was started to grow up, so like I think like 0203, I want to say. Yeah, we started doing cool things like play Pokemon cards. <laughs> I, I never really got into Pokemon. Oh, I was all about it, man. I continue to play the stupid games. I, I should not, but here I am. <laughs> 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 well, so you, you brought up Sky. Um, have you listened to Goldfinger's new album? I haven't listened to the new album, but they got my attention on Facebook. Like last month, they did a live stream of the old Superman song from Tony Hawk. The um, fun stuff about this. So here I am doing everything I can. Did you know those chords are the same chords as uh, Paco Bell's Canon in the same order? I did not know. So the. So here I am goes over and over and over. It's the same thing, identical. And it's raining tacos. Anyway, so Goldfinger has a new album. Tell me all about it. Well, I've only listened to, I only was able to listen to about half of it at work. I don't know. I did you listen to the knife? The, last, the knife. Mm -mm. Like five or so years ago. Okay. Um I don't know. It it sounds really good, but I don't know. It kind of lacks the soul of like the early albums. I gotcha. You, you know what I mean? Like, there's there's like an energy, man, from that like coming off of the second wave of the '80s into the '90s with for Sky and the 2000s for Sky with like the Boss Tones and Streetlight Manifesto and some Mustard Plug. They're all just fantastic, and they're all like ironically happy, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's real, but you can't be like angry when you're playing a horn, though. I think. I think you're right, but like the lyrics are always just like so spicy. That song "Beer" by Real Big Fish, where they're like he's complaining about his girlfriend leaving him, so he's getting drunk with his friends. Like that is not a good story. <laughs> There's a loser in this situation. That's not good. <laughs> yeah, but we're playing horns, so we can forget about it. Ba -ba -ba. <laughs> So I, I haven't listened to all of Goldfinger's yet. I, I was just curious if you have. Oh, um, no, check it out. Not, I didn't really hear too many horns, though, or really anything. So mm. I think it's more like their punk rock yeah, you know, style. But, I mean, to me, the first what, first three or four albums, like, I mean, oh, so good. you can't really touch those, honestly. So good. And that's sort of the way it is with most ska bands. Like, really, Fish is the one that I think of when I think of one that has had interesting stuff happen sort of in phases over the years, but like those first two Streetlight Manifesto albums or um, Five Iron Frenzy, they they were amazing in their first three albums. The Cheeses of Nazareth, have you heard this album before? No, no. It is, it. it's a 35 minute joke and I love it. So the they're a Christian band. So uh, in an effort to not promote a religion, I have to plus that as a, a disclaimer, but they, that is subtext or as a backdrop they wrote this album and called it Cheeses of Nazareth as opposed to Jesus. And there are like 35 tracks on it. And five of them are serious songs. And they're fantastic. They're really just well done. A song called Kamikaze is amazing. 
it's uh, it's really, really an empowering, exciting tune. The other like 30 tracks are just jokes. So there's there's one that's like three seconds that is just dissonant, nasty. Give me back my taco. That's it. The whole song is that, and it's called "Give Me Back My Taco." Very straightforward with the title. You know what to expect. <laughs> yeah, you should check it out. Everyone should check it out. It's very funny. I'm like crying every time I listen to it. <laughs> I will do that. But this also that's a great segue of albums to listen to. Of what I want to talk about now. What is one album you think everyone should listen to in their lifetime? That is a very challenging question because different different works of art and bodies of work accomplish different things. And I think there's two ways I could answer this question. I think one of the most important stories in the history of music is not in any uh, like popular radio-friendly genre, but in Russian classical music. There's a fellow named Dmitry Shostakovich who was the national uh, composer for uh, the USSR and he was against the USSR. So imagine your life being against Stalin, but being the top musician reporting directly to his people. Very difficult life for him. And there's this wonderful, amazing story of Shostakovich uh, writing a, uh, a suicide note in his eighth quartet. So he was planning to end his own life. And the without sort of boring the listeners with all the theory that makes it cool, uh, he has this theme which stands for himself, and it's interwoven throughout the five movements of the piece. It lasts about 30 minutes. And the, he composed it sort of in a depressed, suicidal, manic frenzy over the course of three days. And when it came time to end his life, um, he couldn't find his poison because a friend had stolen it from him. And he ended up living several more years after that, but that eighth quartet, he decided he was going to end it. The most impactful moment of the whole thing is the knocking. The, I think it's the third movement. It's in C minor, so if you're if you're by a piano, if you're keeping track of the score at home, it just does this. It's, it's the the uh, KGB appearing at his door to end his life for him. That's the the, the premise of that piece. Is that movement? So that's what one option, but I don't know if that's the right pick because. It's so specific, although I think it's profound and an important story and it is uh, meaningful. I think I'm going to select uh, um, Avenge Sevenfold's stage album. The reason I pick that one uh, is it is a loosely concept, but it has a sort of overarching theme about the smallness of the universe. There's a tune about the Fermi Paradox, which uh, posits that if if there's so much universe, how can we be alone? You know, that kind of thing. Uh, there's, the, of course, the stage is kind of like uh, an update to the ideas behind Warpigs, you know, uh, from Sabbath. And the, you know, the puppets, ooh, or Master of Puppets, I suppose. Um, these shadowy figures controlling everything. The music video is awesome. If you haven't seen it, it is incredible. Then the final track on it is a like a 12 to 15 minute power jam called Exist, in which they bring in a voiceover from Neil deGrasse Tyson. And if you don't feel small, like microscopic in this expansive universe after he speaks, 
Like I was, it literally brought me to tears. I was so inspired and moved by the work. Uh, that would be the one I think everyone should listen to at least once. Like you gave very two very different picks. For oh yeah, just like hey, one from this shelf. Yeah, one from this shelf. <laughs> but I mean, you explained both very well. I think they're well, thank you. both very interesting and telling two completely different stories but kind of somewhat similar in the same way. Yeah, it's that sort of impactful profoundness, the profundity of life. And uh, one of my favorite tracks on it, they have this new drummer, this kid, they uh, they ended up hiring for for a tour. I think they found him on tour. I don't know the story. I, I am a huge fan of the music, but the, the stories of the band, I get a little loosey, so if I apologize if I mess up some of the details. But this kid's a crazy, crazy drummer. He is a worthy successor to The Rev. And the song um, Paradigm starts with this tripletized groove. In other words, each beat contains groups of three. But it's so fast. Have you heard the song Paradigm from the uh, stage album? I have not. I really haven't listened to too much of the stage oh, album. Oh, dude, the stage's the best. Um, the, the song is in a slow groove. It's doom, chick, doom, chick, right? But he's got this Tom thing where he's going, doom, the whole song, the whole time. It's good. It's nuts. And the song itself is about uploading your consciousness into a robot to live forever and what you lose in your humanity when that happens. It's a crazy cool idea to write a song about. So awesome. That's a crazy concept, and, you know, in and of itself, and actually form a song around it too and have it tell that story. Oh, and have it be so cool. <laughs> it's so cool. You got to check it out if, if you. If you can, like, put it in, like, a tag of just that. When you're editing this, that'd be awesome. Put it in right here. Doom. That was enough time for it for you not to be sued or flagged, so. <laughs> they might get a little mad about that. Yeah, flag and take down the video. Yeah. yeah that, that, that would be fun. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, I apologize for being so obnoxious. Oh, you're, you're fine, man. No worries. But... I will be wrapping up this interview, Tim. Thank you so much for hanging out with me, chatting everything, Fate of Conceit, and just music in general on Avengers Sevenfold and albums to listen to. But one more thing before we go. It is December of 2020. We're almost to the finish line for 2020. 2021 coming up very fast. What is uh, the plans for Fate of Conceit for the new year? Well, uh, yikes. That, that is the question, isn't it? And nobody knows. We have no certainty about, about anything. I was expecting to play a Christmas show. Well, it turns out that the, the business that was going to host it doesn't exist anymore. So, like, I hope first that 2021 is not a sequel. As we all know, sequels are often worse than the original. In a few instances, like Empire Strikes Back, they're better. I hope this is an Empire Strikes Back year. And we are... we hope to do a release in March of the first single. We're going to be deactivating all the demos and pulling pulling them all down because those were produced here and poorly and be elevating the Sean, uh, Sean Pappy and Jalen Johnson mixes. I am working closely with a uh, an old friend of mine to open up a studio space, which is really exciting. So we're going to be doing stuff there. And uh, yeah, our goal is to just play some shows. That's it. Like we want to get that done. So 
Sounds like you got some cool stuff, and sounds like you got some stuff you can work on. And yeah, the biggest thing, you know, the only thing for sure is that nothing is for sure. Especially, I mean, when twenty twenty is like a prime example of that. Yes. Oh man, what a year. <laughs> or or ten and one. I don't know. Yeah, the Spotify thing. Thanks, you, thanks for staying with us for all sixty-seven months of twenty twenty. You know, where's the lie? Where's the lie? <laughs> no lie at all, man. <laughs> Tim, thank you so much. If anyone hasn't checked out Fatal Conceit, check them out. They got their own website. You can listen to some tunes. And yeah. please check them out. Please listen to them. Please stream them. Support them. Really killer band out of Michigan. Too much rock for one hand. Too much rock. We did shred shred vibes only. That's our our shtick. That's the hashtag to follow or something. I don't I don't know. These kids and their TikToks and insta chats and Snapgrams. I, I'm trying to keep up. I, I am too. I, I don't understand half the language people say anymore. So, what? What? Yeet. I did that, and someone said, "You look old." That was so 2015. I was like, "What?" I discovered that like last year. <laughs> uh, I never got into it, so you can't look old if you never do it. <laughs> That's the dang truth. Oh man, Tim, thank you so much, brother, for hanging out with me. Please check out Fatal Conceit out of Michigan, and they will rock you. And for Tim of Fatal Conceit, I am Matthew Thomas with Super Cool Radio. Thank you for watching. Good night.